what a beautiful morning in Calgary, amen? You know, I run into a lot of people who always complain about Calgary weather. I think once in a while we have to thank our Lord for the wonderful weather we have when it comes our way, right? Amen, amen. I still love Calgary weather. I don't care what anybody says. Anyways, our entire church, uh, from our children and youth right through to our senior adults here at Central uh, or house churches and all our regionals that are meeting in Bridgeland and Airdrie and also in the Crowfoot Theaters in Northwest Calgary, they're exploring what the Bible says about who God is and the implications that these truths have on our everyday life. And I trust you're doing this along with us. Um, but if you're not and you would like to, then after the service, please go to the uh, small um, group booth in the atrium here at Central or in the foyer of the regional that you're attending and let them know of your desire to get plugged into a small group near where you live. I really encourage you to do so. In this series thus far, we have talked about our all-powerful God, our all-knowing God, and in this service, we're going to explore our everywhere present God. But first, would you stand with me as we dedicate our time to the Lord in prayer? Our Heavenly Father, I want to thank you, Lord, that long before we were born, you made the decision that you were going to know us and love us and give us the opportunity to know you. I pray, Lord, that you would be present here today as we seek to understand your heart, as we seek to understand you more fully. And Lord, whatever these truths say to us, I ask that you would give us the courage to respond in whatever way you would ask us to. For I pray it in the precious name of Jesus. Amen. You may be seated. A story is told of a single mother who was having the hardest time with her two sons who were aged 12 and 10. And hardly a day went by when someone wouldn't call her from the community or from the school complaining about the behaviors of her two sons. She was frustrated. She really didn't know what to do anymore. And so as she kind of came to her wit's end, she was talking to the neighbor lady about this, and the woman told her that she had a similar problem with her son, and, and after seeing various counselors, the only person who was able to actually help her son was her pastor. She said, I don't know what he said to my son when he met with him, but whatever he said, it just turned a new leaf over in his life. He was a different boy from that time on. Well, that was great news, and the mother called the pastor the next day, arranged for her boys to see him. When the dreaded day arrived, the two boys dutifully made their way to the pastor's office, sat in the chairs outside of his office, and the oldest boy, Dennis, 
was up first. So he went into the office, sat down, very nervous. And the pastor just looked at him for the longest time. And then finally he said, young man, where is God? Well, Dennis was overwhelmed by the whole situation. He didn't know what to think, and so he just sat there. The pastor was a little taken aback by all that, and so with greater authority he said, young man, where is God? Well, Dennis was freaking out by now. I mean, he's looking around all over the place. He doesn't know what to say, and the preacher's getting even more upset because he's not getting a response from this young fellow. And so with even greater authority, he said, young man, don't avoid my question. Where is God? Well, that did it. Dennis jumped up, ran out of the preacher's office, grabbed his younger brother, and started running for all that he was worth. Young Jimmy yelled out to his older brother, Dennis, and said, what's the matter? What's, what's going on? Why are you running? What's the rush? And Dennis yelled back and said, Jimmy, this is big. He says, we're in real trouble. They've lost God, and they're trying to pin it on us. <laughs> well, I rather doubt that that was what God was trying, um, the pastor was trying to do. But he did ask an interesting question. If I was to ask you, where is God? What would you say? Some people believe that God is up in heaven, far removed from daily life, and in the words of Bette Miller, is watching us from a distance, maybe in the minds of some people keeping score of how we're doing. But he's watching us from a distance. Others believe God dwells in temples or in places of worship like this. Many others, however, aren't really sure. The Bible says that God is everywhere present. In Psalm 139, King David says, We cannot escape God's presence. He writes, Where can I go from your spirit? Where can I flee from your presence? If I go up to the heavens, you are there. If I make my bed in the depths, you are there. It's mind-boggling for me to think that God never has to go anywhere. He never has to um, take a trip. He never has to pack up um, and go on a holiday because he's always there. He's already there. He's not limited by time or space. Jeremiah 23 says, Am I only a God nearby, declares the Lord, and not a God far away? Do not I fill the heavens and the earth? There's no point in the universe where God is not. I like the story of seven-year-old Billy who hadn't learned yet that God is everywhere present. And he and his classmates, they were uh, lined up in the cafeteria line of a private Christian school. And, and on the one end of the table over here was, was a big bowl of apples. And next to it was a sign, a large sign that said, take only one apple. And then underneath another big sign that said, remember, God is watching. 
And so they dutifully took their one apple and went through and got the rest of their food. And they got over to the other side of the table and there was this big bowl of chocolate chip cookies. And he looked over at his buddies and he says, man, take all the cookies you want. God's watching the apples. What Billy didn't understand is while it's impossible for humans like us to be in two places at one time, it's no problem with God because God is spirit. He's not limited by a body, so he can be at all places at the same time. John chapter 4 verse 24 says, God is spirit and those who worship him must worship him in spirit and in truth. Dr. R.C. Spruill says, Christianity is a supernatural religion. God lives in an entirely different dimension. We refer to as the spiritual realm or as the supernatural realm. We don't see God literally because he isn't limited to three-dimensional space as we are. But just because we don't see him doesn't mean that he's not real. Just like there are radio waves all around us which we cannot see with the visible eye. There are spiritual beings around us, including angels and, yes, demons, which we may not see, but they are very real. Now, let me be clear. Even though God is spirit does not mean that that God is some nebulous higher power or energy field like, you know, the force in the Star Wars trilogy. No, God is a real person with whom we can have a personal relationship. Furthermore, when we say that that God is everywhere present, that does not mean that God is everything. That's called pantheism. Pantheism teaches that God is all and that all is God. According to pantheism, if you touch a tree, for example, you're touching God. God is a table. God is a chair. Now, if this is true, and if all is God, then the logical conclusion of all of this, of course, is that you are God and that I am God, which is a very flattering thought, but we all know better, don't we? The truth is, I am a creation of God, which means he's the creator, and I'm the creation. Genesis 1.1 says, in the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. Notice the creator is distinct from his creation. As a Christ follower, I am in Christ, and Christ is in me, but I am not Christ. And, and uh, Christ is not me. God is distinct from his creation. Now, some people ask, doesn't the Bible say that, that God is near some people and, and far from others? Well, we know uh, that Isaiah did exhort the people of his day to call on the Lord while he is near. And um, elsewhere, he said that Israel's rebellion had caused God to be far from them. But the important thing to keep in mind is the distinction between God's essence and his relationship with his people. 
Dr. John MacArthur says, in terms of God's essence, he is always with us wherever it is we go. But he will be present with us only to the extent that we open up our lives to him and are receptive to him. Have you ever heard someone um, say after a church service or after a small group meeting, boy, God really showed up in that service? And, and what that person means by that is that people were impacted. Uh, they were changed in some way. Uh, passionate prayers and honest confession and tearful, genuine worship took place. And yet the reality is God is as present in this service as he ever has been present in this service and as he ever will be. The difference is how you and me respond to his presence in our lives, how open we are to his presence. For example, if, if you just had a near-death experience, you know, yesterday, like a near car crash or a parachute that didn't open until just before you hit the ground, you're probably a lot more open to God and to hearing from God in this service, a lot more sensitive than the person who's sitting behind you who just had a nasty fight with his or her spouse on the way to church. God is always present, but at times we come to him with our jaws locked, our fists clenched in prideful defiance. And other times, we come to him with our hearts soft, our ears and our hands open to him, wanting to hear from him. And you see, that's why two people can experience the same worship experience, the same service. They can have the same small group experience. And one will leave totally blessed, talking about how real God's presence was in that service, and another will be totally disengaged for any number of reasons in that same service and leave cold and empty and as unmoved as when he came. All that to say that wherever you are, God is right there with you. He is fully, he is as fully present to Christ's followers in Cairo right now as he is to Christ's followers in this place or in this church. And the degree to which we experience his presence will depend on the state of our heart and how open we are to hearing from him and being touched and blessed by him. So make no mistake, you have God's undivided attention. You never have to stand in line in order to meet with the Lord. You don't have to have a prior appointment. God is with you now and always. All through the scriptures, our Lord says, I will be with you. I will be with you. And when God says, I will be with you, he's not saying, I'll go along for the ride and just provide some moral support. No, in John 15, he's saying, I call you friend. And if you lean on me, if you cry out to me for shelter or for strength, I'll do what you can't do. 
He wants to be our companion. He wants to communicate as friends do on a moment-by-moment basis. And therein is the most amazing truth of Christianity. It's not just that God exists. Other religions teach that as well. It's not just about knowing certain beliefs or following certain rituals and performing certain good works, which is really the heart of all the major world religions, including Islam and Hinduism and Buddhism. What makes the Christian faith so unique and amazing is that our God can be known personally. He is not just our forgiver, as wonderful and as important as that is. He is also our friend. He is our lover who wants to walk with us through the good and the bad of life and promises never to leave us or forsake us. Now you say, Pastor, you know, it's relatively easy to believe all that when life is going good. But it's another thing to embrace this truth when you get a bad medical report, when your spouse walks out on you, when the person that you're madly in love with tells you it's over, when you're dying in your job, when your business, your financial situation is a mess, when your family situation is a nightmare, how do you find the peace of God? How do you even appreciate the presence of God during the hard knocks of life? Well, to help us with that, I I want us to turn together to Psalm 46. Psalm 46. Again, if you have your Bibles with you, turn to that psalm and just keep it open. If you have your iPads with you, take it off your email and switch to the Bible version now, okay? You can stop texting and all that stuff. Okay, here we go. Now, let me quickly give you the background to the writing of this psalm. In 2 Chronicles chapter 20, we read of a time in history where three nations made a treaty with each other basically to attack and exterminate the Jewish people. And so they formed this huge army and they began marching toward Judah. Now the king of Judah, King Jehoshaphat, he may have had a funny name, but he was a good and he was a godly king. And when he received word that there was this huge army coming their way, multiple times greater than his own, and that they were marching toward him, and they weren't coming for afternoon tea. The Bible says he was afraid. But instead of calling his generals together to plan a way of escape, the Bible says he called out to God. He poured out his heart to God. And God responded to him and the nation of Judah through the prophet Jehaziel and saying this, Do not be afraid or discouraged because of this vast army. For the battle is not yours, but God's. Tomorrow, march down against them. Now notice God says, Don't be afraid or discouraged because the battle is mine. But then he says, tomorrow, march down against them. You see, whatever our circumstances may be, God still calls each of us to exercise faith, to step out and to do our part. 
It's just that as we do our part, we do so with the knowledge that God is strengthening us and defending us and helping us to do what we can't do because we asked him for his help in the same way that Jehoshaphat asked the Lord for his help. Well, God was true to his word and he threw the three armies into such confusion they ended up fighting and wiping each other out. And this incredible demonstration of God's love and protective power led to the writing of Psalm 46. And so I'm going to ask you to stand with me as we read a portion of this psalm together. God is our refuge and strength, an ever-present help in trouble. Therefore we will not fear, though the earth give way and the mountains fall into the heart of the sea, though its waters roar and foam and the mountains quake with their surging. The Lord Almighty is with us. The God of Jacob is our fortress. Be still and know that I am God. I will be exalted among the nations. I will be exalted in the earth. You may be seated. Now, it's evident from this passage that we just read that the psalmist knows what it means to face hard times. If you look at verse 2, it says, Though the earth give way and the mountains fall into the heart of the sea, and what he's saying through these magnificent word pictures is, when life feels totally chaotic and out of control, you need not fear because the Lord Almighty, down verse 7, the Lord Almighty is with us. But then notice in verse 10, he instructs us on what we need to do to find peace with God when our world is falling apart. He says, when trouble comes, be still. Now, when we think of being still, we think of sitting still. We think of the mother who grits her teeth and tells her son to stop squirming. But Dr. Joseph Stowell, to whom I want to give credit for some of his excellent insights on this particular psalm, he points out that the Hebrew word for still means to quit striving. In other words, quit trying to solve the problem or fight the battle on your own. And when it says here, be still, God's really saying, relax, let go, lean on me with whatever it is you're facing. And you're thinking, how do I do that? When the wheels are falling off my life, I can't relax. All I do is worry. All I do is fret. Or I jump in there and I try to do something. Well, it's pretty normal to want to do something. But notice that God doesn't just say, relax. He adds this. He says, be still and know that I am God. In other words, there is something I can know that will help me relax in the midst of the hardships. 
So what do we know to be true about God? Well, we see the answer in verse 1. God is our refuge and strength, an ever-present help in trouble. The psalmist says here, let me tell you about the kind of friend that we have in the Lord. Let me tell you about the God who promises to be with us. When God says, I will be with you, he's saying three things. First of all, God's saying, God will be our shelter in times of storm. Verse 1, God is our refuge. A refuge is a shelter. It is a place of rest. You know, a few years ago, there was a story in the news about a father and a son who were lost for 11 days um, uh, in the mountains of Italy. They had been skiing together, and a storm blew in, and they ended up going down the wrong side of the mountain. People had already given up, um, assuming that they would not be found. But by the end of the first day, they found a little crevice, a cleft in the rock, a couple of feet high, tucked way back under the rock. And they found shelter there in that cave. And that little cave served as a place of refuge in a time of storm and ultimately saved their life. That is a picture of how God is a shelter in a time of storm. A refuge is a place where we can relax and feel safe and where we can find inner peace when we are worried or fretful, when we are heartbroken, disappointed, or lonely, when we are simply weary, fatigued, or overwhelmed. When God says, I will be with you, he's saying, let me shelter you. Let me shelter you from the devious or the angry person at work or the bully at school or from children or family members who are saying or doing hurtful things. Let me shelter you from that frightening medical report or from overwhelming circumstances. Stay with me here for a while. Pour out your heart to me. Psalm 62.8 says, Pour out your hearts to God, for he is a refuge for us. And you know, the unfortunate thing is, is that so many of us so often do everything but that. We'll go and pour out our hearts to somebody else. Or we'll just get in there and try to fix it all ourselves. And often, it isn't until we've got nothing left that we close the door and pour out our hearts to God. And you know, you can do that wherever you are. You can do it in your office. You can do it in your bedroom. You can do it even in your car as long as you don't close your eyes while you're driving. Explain to him what's burdening you in the same way that you would to a closest friend. And as you do, you are going to sense the peace 
his peace envelop you and his perspective and power renewing you. You know, I can vividly remember the day that I got a dreaded call from my doctor informing me that my medical test didn't turn out very well. I mean, it was one of those life-changing phone calls. I went home, I closed the door, and I just poured out my heart to God. And over the weeks of uncertainty that followed, whenever fear and panic would overwhelm me, I just regularly came to the Lord and I told him exactly what I was feeling. And I can tell you there wasn't a time that I did this, that my spirit wasn't renewed, that my perspective wasn't refreshed, my courage strengthened, and I was able to pick up and to carry on. Just knowing that he is with me made all the difference. I could identify with the psalmist when he said, Yea, though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil, for, there's that phrase again, you are with me. See, the Lord doesn't promise if you put your trust in him that he will remove all adversity from your life. He promises to be with you and to provide what you need one day at a time. Furthermore, when God says, I will be with you, he means he will be our strength in times of weakness. Look again at verse uh, 1. God is our refuge and strength. He promises to empower us to do what we could never do in our own strength. He will empower us, for example, and strengthen us to share our love with Jesus, for Jesus, with other people. In Matthew 28, verse 18, Jesus called his disciples, as he calls all of us, to, to go and to make disciples of all nations. And then at the very end of that great commission, he says, and surely I am with you always. The Great Commission is a huge task. It's an intimidating task, and yet God says to us, don't focus on your inability or the size of the task. No, put your faith in my ability. Step out and rest in the knowledge that I am with you always and that I will do what you can't do. And so remember, when you step out and you share your faith with your neighbor or that coworker, God is with you. When you teach your children or, you, or, or someone that you are mentoring about God's love, he is with you, strengthening and empowering you because you've asked him to. When you're tired and weary, Ask our ever-present God for his strength and then step out and do or say the right thing. And as you're doing so, believe that God is empowering you to do what you feel so incapable of doing because you asked him. When you're having a difficult time loving someone, 
Ask God for his strength and then step out and treat that person the way you would treat a person that you truly loved. Believing as you do that God is doing a work in your heart because you asked him to. God promises to shelter you in times of storm. He promises to strengthen you in times of weakness. And thirdly, when God says, I will be with you, he means I will be your help in times of trouble. God is our refuge and strength and ever-present help in times of trouble. When I think of this promise, I'm reminded of an incident in the life of our, our youngest son, Michael. When he was just a little guy, he was around five years old, he was very uncomfortable um, with the dark. He didn't like sleeping alone in his room with the light off he, he, uh, or walking anywhere in the house that wasn't lit up, uh, especially the basement. Now, the other boys knew that about him. And so they just loved to find ways to put him in a position where he had to face the dark on his own. One time he wanted a certain toy and, and, and one of his brothers said, oh, that, that's downstairs, Michael. And my, uh, he says, uh, Michael said, well, you get it. And uh, his brother said, no, no, you get it. You're not afraid, are you? Well, Mikey got up and kind of stuck out his chest and said, no, I'm not afraid of the dark. And he kind of marched downstairs. It was only a matter of just a few moments and uh, I heard him call out, Dad, Dad, can you come down here? And I said, what do you want, Mike? I just want you to come down here. I said, why, son? You aren't scared of the dark, are you? I was a bad dad, okay. <laughs> no, he said, I just want you to, just, I just want you to be with me, Dad. And so I made my way down there and I can still remember how eagerly and how firmly he grabbed hold of my hand. Now, how relieved he was and how confident he was from that moment on. You see, we had a history together. He'd only lived five years up to that point, but from as far back as he could remember, his dad, along with his mom, they'd cared for him. They'd provided for him. They'd sheltered him. They'd protected him. They prayed for him. They hugged him. They held him when he hurt himself. And because of that, he trusted me without hesitation. And he relaxed. And for just a moment, I experienced firsthand what our Heavenly Father must feel when we relax in Him in the midst of the uncertainties of life. And when just being with Him matters more than having what we want from Him. 
It's a picture of what the psalmist meant here when he wrote, God is our refuge and strength, an ever-present help in trouble. Therefore, we will not fear, though the earth give way and the mountains fall into the heart of the sea, though the basement is dark. Though an aspect of my life is dark and unknown, the Lord Almighty is with us. The God of Jacob is our fortress. And so when trouble comes, if we want to have a spirit of peace rather than a spirit of panic and fear, we need to stop trying to figure it all out ourselves. We need to be still. We need to relax and let go and know the God who wants to help us. A number of years ago, our family watched the movie The Fugitive in our home. And if you've seen that movie, it's now an older movie. You know what I mean when I say that it had me on the edge of my seat from the start to the end. Harrison Ford plays the role of Dr. Richard Kimball, a surgeon who was convicted of killing his wife and then sentenced to die for his crime. Well, early in the movie, it was made very clear that Kimball was not the killer. And so when he escaped, we were all very relieved for him. The trouble with all that is, is through the rest of the movie, we feared that he was going to be captured and put to death for the crime that he didn't commit. And so each time he came ever so close to being captured, you know, I nearly had a stroke. I was a wreck by the end of that movie. But I was a happy wreck. Because you see, at the end of the movie, the real killer was captured and Kimball was vindicated and set free. And, and that was a great sense of relief. Sometime later, a group of us watched that movie again with uh, a couple of people uh, who hadn't seen it. I think it was a couple of our daughter-in-laws. It was so much fun just watching them squirm. So much fun just seeing them nearly have a stroke again and again. It was, you know, all the way through this movie. And you know what I noticed was I was totally relaxed. I mean, it didn't bother me at all. I was having a good time. So why the difference? It was something I knew that made the difference. You see, I was able to relax because I knew the outcome. Now you're thinking, hey, pastor, if God told me the outcomes of my crisis, I'd relax too. Joseph Stoll says, but God usually doesn't reveal the outcomes. He usually just gives us enough light to see the next step. Here in Psalm 46, God's saying, even if you don't know how it's all going to work out, you can relax because you know the one who will work it all out. And friends, a day is coming when we're all going to realize that knowing God is better than knowing the outcomes. Because we're going to leave everything and everyone behind, or they're going to leave us behind. In the end, it will be just the Lord 
and me. And in that moment, I'm going to discover, you're going to discover what many people already have. And that is when all that you have left is God. God is enough. Someone who's come to understand this through the anvil of experience. Someone who's come to understand the power of God's peace is a young mother of three by the name of Catherine. As you're going to see in a moment, she came to understand this truth through a season of deep heartbreak. Just watch this. In 2007, my husband Dave said to God, I want to experience the Axe Church. Not long after that, Dave was diagnosed with cancer. We knew that we would need the Axe community in our lives more than ever. We came home from the doctor's office and um, we were afraid and I googled myeloma to find out what it was. And the words that jumped out at me were incurable and three years. But I was just scared. Um, I was scared for my kids. I was scared to be a single mom. I was scared of watching Dave suffer and die, and I was just afraid. We went to the Passion Play and we went camping the next day with our small group. We just had it at a time of praise and confession, and they gathered around us and prayed for us. And um, I just remember driving home from, from Drum Heller that day and just being filled with peace and joy, just knowing that no matter what happened, it would be okay. Um, we still really believed that he would be healed. Um, but I knew that even if he didn't, it would be okay. I knew that the group would be there praying, that they would be there in practical ways. I knew that they would be crying with us and for us. I knew that, that God would just be there and would guide us through it every step. I didn't think that it would be easy, but I knew that it would be okay. Dave was feeling better, and we were just experiencing such great closeness with our community and with God. Uh, the first summer that Dave was ill, especially, we would get together every week with our small group, and one lady would come home every day from work and, and lie down on her face and pray for Dave. Um, Every week they would gather around Dave and lay hands on us and, and pray for us. And it changed us, but it changed them too. The cancer got worse. We had one last shot. After a stem cell transplant with less than 10% chance of success, we had a miracle. The doctors were amazed. Six weeks later, the cancer came back again. There would not be the miracle that we and others had prayed so hard for. Dave would not be healed. When I knew that the cancer was back and there was no hope, well, there was hope, but there was no hope for healing, um, I cried. I, it was awful, it was hard, but I was surrounded by our community. I was surrounded by people that I knew loved me, that I knew would be here for me and my kids. Saturday, he wasn't feeling, feeling very well. We had the home care nurse come in 
Um, I was pretty much spent Sunday in bed. Um, but was still able to talk to us, um, sleeping a lot. Um, and then Saturday night, no, Sunday night, he spent time, a little bit of time with each of the kids. Um, he blessed them. And um, that night I just, I stayed up with him a little bit, um, just wiping his head because he was sweating a lot. Um, trying to rest because I thought it would be a few days at least still. Um, so I was just lying beside him on the bed and um, all of a sudden I could, I could tell his heart was, was beating really fast and it wasn't normal. And I knew that it was it. Um, And it was very peaceful. And it was awful. So in the days that, that followed after Dave died um, and going through the funeral, the peace was still there. Um, I knew that he was with Jesus. Um, I was annoyed that he was there and I wasn't. <laughs> um, but, and, and I, knew that, I knew that it would be okay. I knew that God had a purpose for it. I knew that he, he had been here. He had been with us so much through the whole three years that I knew that he would still be with us. And the group and the community had been with us so much and I knew that they would that they would still be here God is real God is my hope God is my peace when everything sucks <laughs> and it's hard and it hurts He is my peace because he's here with me Catherine's peace comes from knowing that God is with her. And she feels God's presence in two ways. One way is through the love and the care of the people in her small group. They were, they continue to be the hands and the feet of Jesus to her and to her family. And friends, that's another reason that the Lord is, he just never intended for our Christianity to be a solo deal. God wants to use us to minister His presence, His love, His grace, His healing and grace to one another. And when we try to go it alone, we short-circuit one of the greatest channels that He uses to communicate His presence to others. But in addition to that, you probably noticed, as I did, that multiple times Catherine made reference to her ultimate peace being linked to the fact of knowing that God is with her. 
that he will never leave her or forsake her. You see, God is holding her hand and he is walking with her even as I, many years ago, held the hand of my young son in the middle of a dark, frightening basement. I don't know what your dark basement in life is right now. But you need to know that there is someone who is always at your side. And that someone is the Lord. King David said, I have set the Lord always before me. Because he is at my right hand, I will not be shaken. Whatever difficult circumstances and pain and suffering you may be going through, God wants to say this to you. I'm totally aware of what's going on in your life. And even though nothing right now may make any sense, I want you to know that I'm still in control and I am still working behind the scenes. I see things you don't see. I know things you don't know. And I am with you right now. Would you please stand for closing prayer? wondering when was the last time that you really let God be your refuge the last time you really poured out your heart to God about the stuff that you're facing to seek his direction and his strength and his peace songwriter was absolutely right when he said oh what peace we often forfeit oh what needless pain we bear all because we do not carry everything to the Lord in prayer whatever your dark basement may be whatever fears anxieties, insecurities troubles, hardships you may be facing you need to face them alone I want to invite you to to take a moment to come to a place of refuge just make your way up here to the altar of this church for those of you in our regionals just make your way up to the front of the room that you're meeting in right now and hand these issues and concerns over to the Lord trusting him as you leave here to, for him to be your shelter and your strength your ever present help in times of trouble we're just going to wait a, a, just a few moments just come on up here let him be your shelter let him be your strength
Father. I know this pleases you, Lord. When your people pour out their hearts to you. When they recognize their need of you. When they call on you, Lord. To do and to be what they feel incapable of doing. I want to pray for those who have come forward. And I want to ask, Lord, that you will give them a renewed sense of your presence even in this moment. And Lord, as they get up and they leave, and Lord, as the rest of us leave, I pray that we would leave with a deep confidence that you are our shelter in times of storm. That you are strength in times of weakness. And that you are an ever-present help in times of trouble. Thank you for these promises. Thank you for your love. And for being a God who is ever, everywhere present. We pray this in the precious name of Jesus. Amen. Now may the Lord bless you and keep you. The Lord make his face to shine upon you and be gracious to you. The Lord make his face to shine upon you and give you his precious peace. In the name of God the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen. Oh,